Welcome to the Intern Whisperer, the show all about the future of work. Um, so tonight on our show, we have a new intern. His name is Cesar Delgado. Cesar, say hi to everyone. Hello, everyone. Very nice. And uh, we want to welcome today's guest, which is Steve Menard, who is the president of AMS, the founder of Orlando World Live Foundation, also one of my mentors who I met through Starter Studio, and just an extraordinary man. So welcome. I want to say welcome, Steve, to the Interim Whisperer. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, very nice to have you. Um, so important part, first half of the show is all about education. So we're going to ask you about your educational background. We want to know how you got started because remember at some point we were all interns. Okay. Yeah. Um, so go ahead. Program. Uh, my educational background, I went to Buena Vista University, the Harvard of the Midwest, um, and I had well, basically triple major, uh, accounting, computer science, and philosophy, religion. So uh, actually, when I did, after I did my internship, it was hard to go back and finish up school because I liked working a lot better than I liked schoolwork. Oh, that sounds really nice. That's a very interesting mix of education, religion, computer science, and what was the third one? Accounting. The least interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like night and day there. But I can see, you know, a parallel to accounting as well as, um, you know, computer science is kind of like, you know, one, two, off, on. There's always, it, it's precise. Theology, very abstract. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, things, one puts food on the table, the other feeds the salt. Yeah, that's nice. That's a nice way of remembering that too. I, uh, I like that. So where is Buena Venture University? Where is Buena, that? Vista, um, Buena Vista. It's, it's actually in Northwest Iowa, Storm Lake, Iowa. That's, uh, you know, we have Buena Vista here in Florida. Yes, so I was thinking it was going to be like a Mickey Mouse school. Well, um, they, Buena Vista just means beautiful view. So oh. it's, uh, you have beautiful views everywhere. Mm -hmm. That's very true. Very true. So did you do an internship when you were in college? Yeah, um, I, was, uh, I was accepted into the Golden Circle Internship Program, which was a leadership and intern program. So it had education along with the actual internship position. Mm -hmm. um, it was, uh, we had state senators and business people who conducted courses. It was really a nice program mm. out of Des Moines, Iowa. How long was it sounds like it could have been a year-long program. Was it? No, a it was a. Uh, it was summer. It was a summer program. Nice, yeah. very nice. Okay, well, um, so you chose these majors. Why did you choose them? I, again, well, I, I was good at some of the things, and I liked the other things. Mm -hmm. I knew that I couldn't necessarily make. You know, my grandfather was went to the, uh, seminary school, but he ended up being a, a teacher, a music teacher. So um, kind of the family influence, you know, you needed to do something that was practical, mm -hmm. um, but, but we always have been a very spiritual family and I really enjoy um, philosophy too. So like Kierkegaard and things like that. Oh, that's very nice. Um, people always will choose a career path either for one of two reasons, right? Because they want to, or because their family is saying, hey, you're gonna go this route. Mm -hmm. So you had that- Oh, nobody forced me into accounting. <laughs> no, that's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah, that's not going to be one of those things no. that, yes, no. you will be an accountant. No, I grew up on a farm. So 
but I had allergies. Wait, you grew up on a farm? Yeah. You mean you had like cows and chickens? And... Uh, well, we did. Well, yeah. At one point, we did have cows and chickens and pigs, and um, but really more we were um, farm or just uh, soybeans and corn. If we were mm -hmm. mostly farmers. I actually have worked since I was four years old. I come from the Midwest. You do too. Yeah. Um, this is our adopted home now, but uh, but. Definitely, there's there's things that are local, like you know we don't call it soda, we call it pop, and yeah. extension cords, a drop cord. People didn't know what I meant when I was saying things like mm. that. So there's little things are always different, region by region. Yeah, um, I don't remember what we because I don't drink any type of, I guess, uh, carbonated beverages. So I honestly uh, you like the wine. I don't, I don't drink wine either. Okay. I, yeah, I don't drink. My parents, I went off to college. Mm -hmm. I came home on the first break and they said, okay, are you drinking coffee? No, I don't like the way it tastes. Are you drinking beer? No. Are you drinking wine? No. We sent you off to college. What are you doing? Like, you know, are you normal? I said, uh, they taught me to drink tequila shots. And they said, okay, you're fine. But, you know, I didn't do that for very long either because it was just like, uh, why? Uh, I, was, I was always working even in college. I, I had to pay for my own college. So in doing so, I really didn't do much experimentation or anything like that. I was, I did a lot of things, a lot of social things. And I was, I worked, I was able to work or go to college and live at home. I was able to commute. So I was uh, like president of the off-campus student association. We organized a lot of different things. I, I did a lot of uh, different thesis and philosophy teas and different things in and I was um, I actually chauffeured people for the academic and cultural events series so oh, you mean I had, that was uber before uber was uber well I was I was a chauffeur and <laughs> but I wasn't paid so it, it was actually a volunteer thing but I got to drive people who were Nobel Prize winners you know wow. just uh, um, people who were you know actresses singers it was the, the uh, air, closest major airport is in Sioux City, Iowa, and it's an hour away from Storm Lake. So mm. you got to know people quite quite a bit in an hour. Hey, did your uh, small town have like one traffic light in the whole city too? No, that's uh, a thousand people. Fifteen thousand. Well, my hometown hometown uh, had no traffic lights, but uh, the Storm Lake is uh, about fifteen thousand people, and so there's quite a few traffic lights. Mm, that's interesting. So <laughs> you graduate from school. What's that? You graduate from school and what's your first job? Ernst & Young. I was actually the first person hired from my college, hired by Ernst & Young. We'd had other people who had been hired. We had a great, um, and, uh, some great professors in accounting. We had a lot of sales award winners. So the, the, uh, the big, what is now the big four was about probably the big eight back then. Um, they recruited from our college, but not Ernst & Young. And I was the first person from our college to be hired by them. So I was pretty proud of that. Oh yeah, that is a big deal. Well, and that was a, you know, it was a huge company at that time whenever you were graduating, oh, it still bigger, is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a giant, it's definitely a giant. So you chose this career path, um, but you've done a lot of different things in your career. How mm -hmm. has that meandered around? Why, you know, different interests or, you know, what happened? Because you've had a family, you're in the family-owned well, business. I've never been one thing. I mean, even in college, you, I've already told you, you know, computer science, accounting, yeah. and, and philosophy, religion kind of doesn't feel, it doesn't seem like it fits together, but it does. It's a, 
um, understanding how to do things, reason and logic, and and why people do things. It helps you uh, helps you in a lot of aspects of your life. It's how you apply it. And so going into Ernst and Young, I um, it was just at the time it was a new thing to do like the computer auditing. And um, in the, a lot of the technology services, they're just starting to offer those. And then there's audit and tax. But um, even within Ernst & Young, I helped to develop new service lines and, and work with new uh, new companies. And, and that I was a, I opened the first new office for Ernst & Young in Omaha, Nebraska. They didn't previously have one there, but it was the home of four Fortune 500 companies. And we ended up doing work for all of them that includes Berkshire Hathaway, ConAgra, Union Pacific, and First Data. Oh wow! And so it was it was something that we used the new services to get into those. Um, so we did a lot of outsourcing, IT services, and and a number of other things. So that uh, that but the other local offices didn't really have that. So I built up that practice. But so I was entrepreneurial within Ernst and Young. I was involved in the Entrepreneur of the Year program at Ernst and Young. Got to know a lot of people in auditing and doing consulting services you're always in there telling people what to do but i felt like i needed to be grounded and understand business better so i started a company mm. and so while i was at ernst and young i founded what was called it star show and we sold collectible toys it started out very small as a booth in an antique shop and uh, it did very well and then i realized well uh, people have you know, emotional attachment to things. It was very difficult to get old things. So I started working with manufacturers, started to um, ship globally. We ended up that it grew to the point where we were shipping to 42 countries regularly. Um, one of our foreign uh, customers actually ended up buying the company. And then I left Ernst & Young about a year after I'd sold, um, sold Star Show. But it was, it was one of those things where I was working eight, 60, 70 hours at Ernst & Young and then also going in packing orders to ship them out. So we actually increased the volume of the local post office so much that they-, they The got post office, that's crazy. Yeah, it's, well, the, yeah, the <laughs> post office was completely renovated just to handle our business. So we have the small town, Elta, there's all this volume of toys and things going out from there. So we ended up then also moving that to Des Moines, but uh, it's, there's a bunch of things that uh, you don't expect. They're just kind of happen. And, and then after I left Ernst & Young, I founded a company to help people basically to fix whatever's wrong with their company. And so I was all, I've for almost 20 years been helping people to grow their businesses them with the right people, get the right processes involved, and um, built a, a nice team of people who could do that too. So um, just curious, did your star star show? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you said toys. So I'm sitting here thinking, yeah. okay, I'm Star Wars, Star Trek. Oh, I was going to did you have Barbie? Because I was we we did have Barbie. We had Star uh, Barbie. <laughs> yeah. Um, what sold best for us was um, there's a lot of well, there's a lot of Barbie collectors too, but oh, yeah. internationally it wasn't as didn't seem to like it was as big of a market as as it was for the others. But we sold just about everything, even Mr. Potato Head. I love Mr. Potato <laughs> Head. Yeah, yeah, that's like going back to um, oh goodness, uh, what's the movie? Toy Story. Yeah, Toy Story. Yeah, yeah, 1995. I think yeah, was. yeah, that sounds really really interesting. Um, 
So this meandering life of a entrepreneur, uh, you know how hard it is. Our show, we have a lot of entrepreneurs come on because so many students have a real interest in understanding that first off, they usually don't know much about industry. So we have students that listen to our show because they learn more about industries, but they also like to hear about the uh, startup stories. Mm -hmm. And that's very interesting for them. Now, you know, I think this is the hardest thing I have ever done in my whole life as being an entrepreneur. I think it's harder than, than marriage death. and death and divorce. I'm like, you throw everything out there. I think this is ridiculously hard because there's, it's constant and, you know, it doesn't let up. Mm-hmm. Even, even when you get funded and even if you have sales, it's always this constant thing. So. Yeah. Well, what I would say is, um, being involved in the Entrepreneur of the Year program and nominating people, you know, it's kind of a competition. I got to meet so many people and you would see people early on emerging, those who have arrived. Really your first 10 years as an entrepreneur, and this is for most people, this is not, there are a few very rare exceptions, but 10 years of labor, you become an expert at whatever you're doing. Michael mm-hmm. Jordan, basketball, he's at 10 years. So yeah. you may not be the best when you start, but within 10 years, you become an expert. And mm-hmm. I would see everyone that first 10 years, a lot of times they would be struggling. By the 15th year, they'd be forming family foundations and they would have to be very comfortable in buying islands. So it's just something that if you do not give up mm-hmm. and you are uh, someone who supports other people and respects them, you will go far and you don't know when or why, and you have to be able to adapt. Yes. And I don't like the word pivot, so I'm not going to use it, but the, um, but you have to be able to bend yeah. like flexible, lean, yeah, right. agile, all and of those then when, when you see an opportunity, be able to react and, and move quickly. Yeah. Now, why once you become large, much more difficult to be mm. that flexible. And that's why you have this, I basically birth and death cycle for companies. The average lifespan of a company now is less than 30 years. Mm. Used to be much longer. Sears was around for nearly a hundred years, but it started waning, you know, in the late seventies. So now though, because of the advances in technology, the advances in, you know, social media and human relations, the, the life cycle of a business is much shorter. So, I would agree with that. But J.C. Penney's is still out there. They're still doing the good fight. They're <laughs> still out there, but they're just a shadow of what they were, and they are still contracting. They just, um, in the last couple of months, they got rid of their new CEO. So I don't know if, if Penny's will still be around. Actually, Sears probably has a better chance because... They have Eddie appliances Lam- and tools. They have appliances and tools, and Eddie Lampert is a, a deep pocket that can help uh, keep funding it. Now then you have to always, no matter what your business is, keep reinvesting in it. You have to keep it fresh. You have to keep innovating. Once you lose that core of innovation, you will be left in the dust. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the guests that we've had on the show that are entrepreneurs, they've, they've shared very, very similar story. It has taken, it doesn't, you know, we hear, oh, it's an overnight thing. It is not. No, it no is every day, 10 no years. Quick. There is no overnight success. What you don't realize is that Zuckerberg did not experience that either, to be fair. No, he didn't. And, um, and there was a lot of struggle and some of it is luck, but a lot of it is um, blood, sweat and tears. Yeah. Yeah. 
and having you know people that actually share that vision too to be able to yeah. continue and to once, grow it. Once you've arrived and you get to know other people who have arrived, it's actually much easier for you to help people. Now, there's there's going most people who've arrived are not of the mindset to give the keys to the kingdom to somebody who hasn't. Um, it's actually very rare for somebody who's who's been really successful to mentor people and to share that kind of information with people. I am open to sharing. So, um, and I'll I'll, tr I'll tell you what to do, and then I'll I'll measure the progress. And then so there's there are things where I want to see certain things mm -hmm. or benchmarks. Everybody does. Mm -hmm. Anytime that you're looking for an investor, there's certain things that they want to see. And most of the time they won't tell you, I'll tell you. And then I'll say, mm -hmm. do this. And then we'll, we'll open the door to the next thing. So, yeah, yeah, I get it. So normally people will say, oh, we measure it in sales. So whatever your projections are, you mm -hmm. better make sure you're hitting you those this year. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You got to be able to continue to hit those and, and obviously grow and and friends and family or credit cards are a good way. I've both of my businesses I started out of pocket and with family. So I didn't uh, do any outside investment for either one. It's easier to do if you're doing consulting or if you're doing something that can start smaller. Right. Um, but it's very quick that once, you know, it's like you keep reinvesting all of it. And I didn't need to draw an income for Star Show. I was working at Ernst and Young. So I was not only not drawing an income, I was investing what I was making in the company, which helped it grow much quicker. So, yeah. and then, and then you get the, um, you get bigger lines of credit and then people, once you've got a history, three years history, it's magic. You can start tapping into bank finance. Yeah, that's very, very true. Um, all right. So Orlando World Live, tell us about that. What is Orlando World Live Foundation? Well, there's a point in time where you reach, uh, you know, you, I started getting involved. I moved to Orlando. Well, we should back ago. it up. You're right. We should absolutely back it up. You, you arrived in Orlando. What did you do? Well, I was going to retire for probably the third or fourth time. And mm -hmm. so I always get bored. I get an itch. And I start getting involved in the community. And I start doing things like mentoring at Starter Studio. In Omaha, I was one of the five guys who founded the Midlands Venture Forum, which was Marion Capital and the Entrepreneurs. We created an ecosystem and we charged $100 a plate for a dinner and we sold out every dinner. We didn't do it every month, but we only featured three companies and then we'd have a keynote like a billionaire or a governor or senator. So we had something that was an entertainment factor and we had something that was uh, helped that help the actual up and comers. So. I did that there. I got involved, got started getting plugged into the entrepreneur community down here. It's a much larger city than Omaha, but I was actually surprised that it wasn't more developed than Omaha's mm -hmm. uh, entrepreneurial community. So then that kind of led me to let's help with different things. Let's help with the uh, money pipelines and let's help mm -hmm. with um, with different things from a social aspect. Working downtown, I noticed there's a, an issue that we have a lot of homeless and, and, and digging into it. Uh, we have over 2,000 homeless. Now that's down from 3,000, so they're making progress. Yeah. But for chronic homelessness, it's hard to find people who will tackle that. And so poverty- It's expensive. Well, yeah. but the thing is, if you can get it to where, uh, where people can uh, sustain themselves, as opposed to if you're always responsible for somebody else yeah. and they By have no responsibility for themselves. Yeah, all the time. But, uh, and then- 
in doing research and uh, starting things with the Alta project, there are certain behaviors that lead to poverty and homelessness. And if you change the behaviors, you can change the outcomes. And United Against Poverty, um, who I've been meeting with and they're partnering with Valencia, has communications and emotional maturity training that's like foundation skills. Mm -hmm. And it's helped people to get and keep jobs. And so if you get and keep a job and then get a better job, you can start climbing that economic ladder. For homelessness, now you're, that's not just poverty, that's another issue. And a lot of those people have mental illness. So well, those are I, actually challenges not necessarily. Uh, and even with mental illness, there are a lot of people who are functioning and can hold a job who have mental illness. I, I know of many people who are very successful who are bipolar, who have other, other mental health issues with depression or other right. things. So you might hear like a, a lawyer or something has committed suicide because they had, they, they've been very successful in their career, but they just had, they struggled with issues of depression. So depression and, or mental illness doesn't necessarily lead to homelessness, but what is in common for all, especially chronic homeless is catastrophic loss of family. Mm -hmm. So in going across the country to see what has worked in other places, we found programs in Austin and in Kansas City, where depending on the audience, if it's veterans, they have also have issues of PTSD, which could lead to the breakup of their relationships and that, right. but it's catastrophic loss of family. So what Orlando Worldwide Foundation, it's, we are helping to address the homeless issue, but it's not homeless, it's vulnerable. And so it's not just people who are without a home currently, it is people who don't, who maybe need more opportunity. And so we're changing the lives of the vulnerable by rebuilding a family structure and also um, providing dignified earning opportunities. I have now um, in the pipeline, there are three businesses who will, are open to employing the vulnerable who are moving to, um, moving to or setting up shop in Orlando and specifically in pa the Paramore community. So we've got, uh, we've also got things where working with the, the mobile loaves and fishes community first out of Austin and Veterans Community Project. We're bringing those successful programs here to Orlando and we're working on a raise for a, a tiny home initiative. So it's not really about the rooftops as much as it is about that we're rebuilding that family structure so how can you around. do that? If these are people that don't have family, how are you suggesting that rebuilding a family structure there's, there's can work? family by blood and family you choose. That's true. So there's, what we're doing is creating families of choice. And a lot of these um, family, familial structures actually organically form in the homeless community. Mm -hmm. They just don't have a home. And so you you take those, those relationships and you put the, you know, you give them the community and you have the programs on top of it. And then um, if you can, you help those people to reintegrate into society. Now, some of them mm -hmm. can, can now, and we need this to be low barrier, but they can't openly use drugs. You don't wanna encourage that. And there's a lot of people who may have a substance abuse problem that are homeless. A lot of why people get into, uh, you know, into substance abuse issues, they're not happy with something in their life. There's either not opportunity or, uh, and if you're looking at like rural communities across the country, as factories close and economic opportunities dry up, 
people start using more opioids. You see that it yeah. becomes an epidemic. So hopelessness leads to substance abuse. They're trying to replace love or warm feelings or hopefulness with something that helps them to escape. There's many ways to escape though, and you don't have to have drugs. If you have creativity, you can build a world. Mm -hmm. um, and so the arts are very important. So we encourage the arts, we encourage creativity, art, and um, and then there's also the programs where there's animal therapy and that too. So it's relating to the world around you and for where, where you may not have as much color in your life currently, it's bringing that color in and creating your own world without using drugs to just numb yourself or to give yourself a feeling of, of pleasure. So, um, so there are ways to help that. Now, we have it all, and people maybe don't all realize this, but at all levels of society, there are functional addicts. And mm -hmm. so uh, you may not have to completely, but there are some people who just get to the point where they can't control their behaviors. And so what we need to help them do is to get it in check. And if we can get them to uh, get them to stop using, we will get them to stop using. But if we can get them to the point where they're functional, that can change so much. So you have people who go from being completely dependent on others and, and ha having the hand up to people who realize they have something to give. It completely changes the psychology. Yeah. When you go into mobile loaves and fishes, they have about 200 homes currently. They're building another 300. And you go into any of the veterans community projects at communities, you have people who are so grateful and just, they become human again. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Well, because, yeah, you're meeting Maslow's theory, right? The mm -hmm. little pyramid. We have to make sure that people have food, clothing, shelter. And, and when those basic first. needs are met, right. then they can continue to evolve and, and grow and, and become healthy. Perfect self. Yeah. Well, we hope for that. Not well, many. Yeah, I'm pretty sure not many people actually achieve well, that in our you, world. But you might as well try. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I, I love the fact that the focus is on helping to um, yeah, this is an teach people how to fish, right. not be the handout. Right. And there are things where people um, truly have so many disabilities, and sometimes it's they're born with it and their family can't care for them, or that someone who did care for them has died. But a lot of them can live relatively, um, relatively independently. Mm -hmm. So there are actually federal programs to help with uh, build out communities for forever homes for people who can't reintegrate or can't have to have some level of assistance in living. So a lot of those people do become homeless. And if you look at people with disabilities, eighty-five percent of them are un are unemployed, mm -hmm. and so oh, there's yeah. very few opportunities for them to have employment. So yeah, yeah, really important to have that value that they, like you were saying, be able to contribute, be able to take care of themselves, but be able to contribute and, and feel like they are also essentially, they can make a difference. Right, right. Because yeah. people are people, you know. We're all the same. We're not all the same, but we're In all, that all sense people. Though, yeah, we, we all want to be heard. We want to mm -hmm. be respected. We want to yeah. be able to provide, you know, for ourselves, take care of ourselves. Those are just part of who we are. Well, I love the fact that Orlando World Live is a, a foundation, is a very new uh, startup nonprofit. Not, not that new. I mean, we're almost a year old. Oh, wow. I forgot. Yeah, because you're right. We've been together yeah. working on this for since I think March of last yeah. year. But we're working with things that have been around and been successful for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing is we're actually creating a system that is more comprehensive than what any of the individual cities have. Mm -hmm. So 
Mobile Loaves and Fishes has on site movie theater and they make beadwork and they do some art. Mm -hmm. So it is a maker community, but we're bringing in uh, shoe assembly factory, applying art to, um, to shoes, making basically designer shoes out of the mm -hmm. shoe blanks. Mm -hmm. And then we've got, uh, I can't, there's some that I can't talk about yet. So, uh, but I'm under confident, by confidentiality agreements and I do take that seriously. So but we have multiple things where people will have a menu of options and that we're also integrating the programs for emotional maturity communications and anger management United Against Poverty is doing. So on their own, these have been successful, but together they make something incredibly powerful. Mm, and I it's, love that. it's actually something new. Yeah. It's totally new, but it's, it's the synthesis of things that, that work together. And you, when you put it together into a system, I heard you use the word social impact, and it's really yeah. there to, to provide that. Right. Uh, we know that in Orlando, and this is well known, uh, other states will send their homeless down here, put them on a bus, maybe a plane, I'm not sure, but definitely a bus, right. maybe train, and send them down here, and it's a one-way ticket. Um, social impact, well, how do you define that? Well, there's charity, and I would say social impact is charitable, but charity doesn't necessarily measure um, outcomes or success. Social impact, I feel, is something that has more measures. Mm -hmm. How are you helping people, and is the help permanent, or is it that you're creating a dependency? I'm for help people claiming their own power, and I think that pretty much anybody can claim as much power as they can over their own lives that people have responsibility for themselves and that they have the potential to, to, uh, to be on their own, even if people feel like maybe they can't. Mm -hmm. So um, there are many ways for people with disabilities to actually be employed. It's just that people don't really know what to do. And they, so it's, it's kind of like working with your interns. You have a, a, manage, a program to manage and, and develop the interns. There's programs that can help to manage and, and uh, employ the uh, disabled. Yeah. And, and to be really clear for our listeners, you know, our intern pursuit platform is there to help train the employer how to see a higher outcome of their uh, student, their intern that they're working with. So it's kind of like when you're trying to train a dog, you're really not training the dog. You're training I the say trainer. That when you're talking about interns. In yeah, I know, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I get it, I get it. But and I know this is on the air. But it, usually people go, oh yeah, that's absolutely true. You know, in the sense that they then realize that the person that's really getting trained is that person that is whether you're a parent and you have a child or you're you know a physical therapist and you're teaching somebody a new skill there's always going to be that relationship and anybody that's going to be the trainer has to be consistent is, right. is the point of it all. So um, going back here, so you shared where that idea came from and um, Orlando, I would say, because we have a really large homeless population. I know you're pretty well versed in all of those numbers. Um, mm -hmm. How do we stack up against uh, some of the other cities? San Francisco has a huge homeless population. Right, uh, actually underhoused and homeless, the two cities with the most chronic problem are Las Vegas is first, Orlando second. Mm. So unfortunately we are very high on that. Um, now they are addressing a lot of the homeless issue, but underhousing, there's a number of funds that are coming together and we're also working on that we're working for on affordability, working with Central Florida Regional Housing Trust on affordability of housing. Mm 
Um, we're working to bring in as many people as we can for uh, different low income and workforce housing uh, opportunities. People don't realize that we have in Orlando 112,000 people who are considered underhoused, who are spending more than 60% of their disposable or their take home pay on um, housing, and that 50,000 people are living basically in old hotels that have not been renovated. Yeah. And so that 50,000, you're talking about potentially families who don't have kitchen facilities. The only thing that they can really do is maybe they have a microwave and they can go to a convenience store. Right. We have food deserts. It's one of the largest areas of food deserts in any city in the country. So we're also working on food availability and food security. Um, so we're bringing in, uh, this is kind of getting a feel of things, but we're bringing in, um, hydroponic and aquaponic um, gardens. I know we talked community about gardens, that last week. And That's then, wonderful. Yeah, so, that, so there's a, a tremendous number of things. And again, I grew up on a farm. So I basically, I've lived many lives. Mm -hmm. I know how to do a lot of different things. And I know a lot of big people in those industries and communities. When I was with Ernst & Young, I, um, they didn't, I worked in many industries. I'm just, it was like a lot of it was technology, but I worked in a lot of industries with uh, starting you know, the mail order business, I got involved in New York with a lot of businesses as first as suppliers, but going to you know, these trade shows and things, you get to know people. Mm -hmm. And then with my consulting business, people referred me to other people and it was just whatever wasn't working, I fixed. And so I got to know, I know thousands of people. So it's, <laughs> a, it's kind of a, people have that online, that's the number of people in my phone. These are real, real contacts mm -hmm. and people that I, you know, if something comes up, it's surprising. It's kind of like, I would say the heart doesn't know time. So when you get to know people and get to know them well, if you call them maybe even like a few years after the last time you call right. them, it's still like just coming home. And yeah. so, so these people are active, um, active contacts to the people that I know, know well. So that's, uh, that's bringing, really bringing them into Orlando. Yeah, that's really good to hear. So I I know that many times when I leave the office and I'm, you know, in the downtown area, I've seen people just sleeping right there on the street. Yeah. And, you know, people, we all walk by them and it's like, what can we do? You know, we could wake them up, we could give them a meal for that time, but it just really doesn't get them out of that situation. So I'm really happy to uh, hear about it, but I'm also right. happy to be a part of it. Too. Well, anybody, it doesn't matter if you have money. If you have money, if you can contribute to this cause, this is something that is very effective. And we've already raised 13 million out of $60 million raise. So if you can donate, that's wonderful, but we would love to create a community that is a giving community and uh, has a tradition of giving. So anybody who would be happy, you know, would volunteer, volunteer to teach, volunteer to work with people, volunteer to supervise in the maker community where we are going to have things where they will be doing, um, you know, uh, making bracelets or pottery or artwork. In addition to these things where people who can mm -hmm. can do these, um, they can probably make more money in the in the basically oh, yeah. factory settings, but they will still can earn enough along with the federal assistance. Each each homeless person does get federal money. And they get rental assistance too. So, so there is income for them, but it's, I don't really count it as something that would be enough to live on. 
but uh, with through the, the charitable uh, foundation that we're putting together or we put together and in the communities that we're building, we know because of the 20 years of history of mobile of fishes and the five years of history of veterans community project, how much it costs annually. And a lot of this can be paid for through um, the operations of the, you know, selling those trinkets and selling other things that they, that people make in the community. Yeah. The, the wares that they have for sure. Right. So um, the next one is, well, I know you, you talked quite a bit about, you know, your interest in startups and the fact that you are also an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. but you know, was there anything like when you were a kid, did you have a real interest in it? I think people that are farmers, I think they're entrepreneurs, honestly, you know, because they're providing food. But, you know, as you've gone through this and here it is, you're still an entrepreneur. You've started a foundation. It's a nonprofit. And there's some other things that are, you know, perhaps on the horizon. Mm -hmm. um, you're involved with a lot of the people that come out of Starter Studio. Um, it's it's a big juggling act to try yeah. and, you know. Well, the family business, and I've always liked this aspect. The family business for about 50 years has been destination development which means we've helped to build theme parks, regional parks. We've done projects for very large, uh, large, including Disney and Universal. Um, we've had people on staff uh, for the family business who've, who've done, uh, we've helped design and build uh, things like parks for the Olympics and for uh, Navy Pier, people we've worked with and people we've brought on have done amazing things and even working with you and your your cadre we've worked with people around the world on this so as a kid and for a time although i rebelled and you know went to college went to Ernst and young i wanted to succeed on my own too um, but the family business and doing destination developments about entertainment and and in going in and bettering an area um, so a lot of times when you build tourism or destination development, you're going into an area that's had, potentially has chronic poverty or it needs some love. You know, basically all these destinations, maybe not Orlando itself, but um, if you look at where Silver Dollar City went into um, the Smoky Mountains and became Dollywood, it was initially Silver Dollar City, but the branding and working on those projects, you had chronic poverty and it was, it was not a great environment. I've always liked to entertain people. And whether it's, uh, whether it's Ernst and Young or, uh, you know, you can always be friendly with people or you can always build a story or engage people through entertainment. The reason that the things that I've done have been successful is because I've never forgot that people come for the entertainment. And if you see businesses and the, the businesses that I worked with through Ernst and Young, those that understood how to entertain and to tell a story were the ones that were successful. So it's storytelling. Do you play an instrument? I I have I can play not very well, but I can play the piano and the trumpet. So. Okay, so that is a part of how to entertain people: stories, music, obviously. Yeah, writing. Uh, it's you know you're writing if you're building a platform or you're building a, a service line. It's in essence a program or a story. It's something that achieves an objective. And so there's, there are classic elements of storytelling. You know, it's, you have to have pathos. You have to throw stones at the hero. You have to build to a climax and you have to have something that is nearly insurmountable. So um, there's always something, even if it's, even if it's in accounting or, or consulting, 
where you go, here was the hero's challenge, and then here's how the hero can overcome it. You can, you can tell them how to if they haven't overcome it yet. Mm -hmm. Or you can tell them that they overcame it and this is how they overcome it. Yeah, that is a really good encouragement. I think that the thing that every entrepreneur needs to remember is to just surround themselves with positive people, um, people that will tell them the truth, what they need to hear, not always what you want to hear. And you will find that probably some of your biggest critics are your family. So oh, gotcha. if you're becoming an entrepreneur, your mom or your dad are going to want you to have some security and they're going to try and talk you out of it. Yeah. I don't listen very well sometimes. So mm -hmm. um, a lot of times, but it doesn't mean that I'm, I, I don't, uh, I'm doing something that I feel is reckless. Mm -hmm. I am taking risks. You have to have an appetite for risk. You have oh, to yeah. have an appetite for uncertainty, but I've always known that I could do this. And, and there are people that I've seen that they do it to prove because someone told them they couldn't do it and yes. then they did it, you know? So never, ever, oh, <laughs> Ernst and Young. I knew technology, I knew all these mm -hmm. things. Basically they considered me a poindexter because I could learn things very quickly and, and that. So they didn't see me as a good administrator or a leader. And this was the managing partner of my local office told me when I want, I told him that I wanted to open the office in, in Omaha, he called me the ugly man talking to the beautiful woman who didn't realize that he was ugly. And what he meant by that was that I'm not, I'm not going to win at this because I'm not good at it. Mm -hmm. I said, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to prove that you're wrong. And I didn't do anything differently other than that. I told him that he was wrong and that I was proved that he was wrong. And he gave me, I got the office. Now the office for Ernst and Young, and this has always been my philosophy, but I've always bootstrapped everything. So the office for Ernst and Young, I had to build the practice before they gave me the office. They didn't just give me an office and then go hunt. The office for Ernst and Young in Omaha was literally, and it was on my business card. It was the, my apartment and my car. Oh my God. Yeah. For I two, think everybody can years. relate to that. Yeah. For two years, it was my apartment and my car. And I had the house in Des Moines, but you have to establish a beachhead. You have to go out there you have to be present. And no matter what it is that you're doing, whatever the form, and maybe it's a digital presence, but you have to be present. If you're not, you're never going to get what you want. And, and you have to be persistent and you have to build relationships. Midlands, building Midlands Venture Forum actually helped me to build relationships and to get indoors I wouldn't have otherwise gotten into. I worked with bankers and lawyers and city well actually the, the business uh the chamber of commerce and that and with the people that i worked with but people can help you get in yeah and most cities especially omaha are very what i would say it's insular orlando is different because the people who've lived here for generations are actually the minority and so many people who live in orlando have arrived in the last 10 15 20 years that I, it's this is a different animal it really is so but most cities they don't have that inflow and outflow and so like if you didn't grow up there it's very hard to earn trust and but i've always been persistent and i never give up i think you probably realize that oh yeah well i yeah that's the test of any entrepreneur too is that yeah you don't you know you may not accept even no you consider go well, there's going to be a way that this can happen. So it's going around, over, through, whatever, well, but you can make it happen. 
if you want to know a secret, be the first to offer something because everybody comes to you, especially if you have money. Yeah. Everybody comes to you with their hand out and everybody has the greatest idea ever and everybody wants money. But it is very rare for someone to come to you and actually offer to help you. Yeah. Because no matter who you are, the resources that you have, there's always something that you don't have. And a lot of times that is if I'm working on something that's a social impact initiative and you're willing to actually give of yourself, you know what? That raises you up in my esteem. And so if I get to know you and actually work with you directly, then I'm more willing to take a risk. Because the thing is, if you knock on my door and I'm just an ATM to you, why should I even talk to you? Right. Well, and I think everybody feels that way, yeah. whether it's a parent, even if they don't want to be that yeah. ATM. There's a but lot. Of, yeah. 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 So so respect the people around you and be the first to offer to help. I agree with that. Um that whole philosophy. So we're going to take just a few seconds here to acknowledge our sponsor, and then we'll be back right back. Um, Interim Pursuit is part of uh, InternPursuit.tech and our Interim Pursuit game. And we also want to thank Cat5 Studios for producing our show. So give us just a second. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. All right, well, we're back to our show, and it's all about internships and remembering somebody that gave us a chance. Steve, who is the person that gave you a chance? Oh, an internship? Um, yeah, whether it's an internship or your first job, maybe, you know, whatever. I know you were in an internship, but who was that person that you think gave you that first chance? First chance? Outside of family. Oh, yeah, not family. It has to be somebody else. I had a paper route in uh, sixth grade. You rode on a bike? A, no, you walked it. It wasn't a huge town. It oh, okay. was 2,000 people, um, and it was like a nickel per like it was an uh, advertiser wow so, it was a circuit. so i didn't last very long at that okay That's hard <laughs> that was back at. yeah it was very heavy and you were walking around um the neighborhoods and there were dogs and things so it was like yeah it, that one was an opportunity but i don't know if it was not for you that's what yeah. we all learned yeah i've had a lot of opportunity i've worked very hard i've worked hard in my academic career i've worked hard on the extracurricular i've worked hard and you know helping people and volunteering and working in the church. So there's been so many people. I, it's hard to say that there's one first one that I've, I've helped and been helped by in, in my entire community. Mm, that's good. All right, we'll go ahead and accept that one. Um, what do you think the future of work looks for, looks like for destination, the destination entertainment industry five years from now? Because COVID has changed everything. Mm -hmm. Um, we're still trying to figure out, you know, how we adapt and use this in our everyday lives, wearing masks, how we're going to do business. What do you think it's going to be like? Okay. First of all, all pandemics end. So there, this will pass. It'll become part of normal life. And I'm not saying that people will normally wear masks, but if you're in destination development, you're always trying to make sure that you're reducing the transmission of diseases because mm -hmm. we're getting an international audience um, and they should be inoculated, but 
they could be bringing in things yeah. from other countries that don't have the same standards that we do. Mm -hmm. So you need to all, this isn't new for our industry actually. So I think it's new for Americans. We're not used to this. We're, well, we're used not to used so to many wearing freedoms. masks, yeah. but, um, but I would say that, that why, why a lot of this is, is happening is this is something new and they don't know exactly how it's going to behave. So what we are doing though is um, UV, I know that's a hot right now, but it really, unless the light can hit the surface, it can't destroy the bacteria. So what you can do though, is there are things like microban and other uh, uh, topical treatments that can discourage or kill um, bacteria and viruses from growing or living on the surfaces. That those are used in toys. It can be used in any surface. There's there's ways to do that. The other does thing, it kill it instantly? Uh, within a few seconds. Okay. So and silver actually kills it too. So um, the metal. The metal and in silver, if you have it woven into your clothes, it actually prevents what causes body odor is bacteria. And so if if you sweat, um, it's the bacteria that create the odor, not your sweat. So if you have silver woven into your clothes, it keeps the bacteria from growing. And that's a little wonky, but um, you can do things with silver, you can do with topicals. The other thing that you can do, there's a new technology that's by a company out of Tampa, the company's called Secure Air Technologies. And Secure Air uh, has something that's, uh, that basically causes viruses to clump with larger particles. Ultrafine particles are not subject to airflow. And so having a HEPA filter doesn't actually take viruses out of the mm -hmm. environment. Secure air though activates the air, clumps it, which makes it harder for the virus to infect you because it's clumped into something else. So it can't get in through your cell linings. And, the, and then it pulls the larger particle out of the air and destroys it with an electric field. They've used this now in hospitals. It's a new technology, so it's not everywhere, but they're using it in infectious disease wards. They've reduced the infections for like MRSA and these superbugs by over 90%. Wow. The technology actually kills anthrax spores, which are very, very hard to kill. And so it, it can truly make a massive difference in, in the whole uh, scheme of things. So, so we are in our new buildings. Uh, whenever we're working on a project, we're recommending and implementing secure air technologies mm -hmm. and these topicals. And people, if it makes them feel more comfortable, you can use the UV too. That's a, a lot of stuff that you've uh, thrown out there for all of us. So certainly um, it sounds like it could replace washing hands or- You should always wash hands always because wash the hands. communication of diseases can be significantly reduced no matter what, no matter what your environment is, if you just wash your hands. You go into the bathroom or any public bathroom and I still see people just walk out of there without washing their hands. So mm -hmm. if you can't change the other people's behaviors, you can change your own. What is some great mentoring advice that you want to pass on to our listeners? And um, who or you know, who was, was at least somebody that you think was a great mentor in your life? It could be a family member. It doesn't have to be. Uh, I, from, you know, loving relationships and that, and definitely family. Um, as far as leadership or business uh, mentoring, I would say, I got to be in a leadership program in college and got to uh, go on a retreat with, our, uh, with the president of our college, Keith Briscoe. 
And um, the advice I got there was not natural to me, but has been very effective mm -hmm. in, in what I've done. And so it, you, what we did was like role playing. And basically you have people who, um, who they're, they're told what their role is. You don't know what their role is. So it's kind of, you're discovering it. Yeah. And, the, and then basically they'll say on their sheet, it says, no matter what, don't do what the other person's saying. And so my tendency was to focus on the people who, and I didn't know, I was trying to convince them that, you know, come on board and I'll work with you and all this. Right. So people, if they're not on board, you don't spend the time with them. People who are high performers, you don't realize it because there's, you don't really need to, to right. teach them much, but they crave your attention too. And the person you're giving the attention to is the person that they think is your favorite, even though for you, you're just trying to get them to do basic things. So if, if, if for you to succeed, you spend your time with the people who can perform the best. They will help carry you. Yeah. For the people who, who don't, you basically, and this was what was really counterintuitive, you give them unimportant tasks. And it sounds like it, that shouldn't be the right thing, but ultimately you are not going to get those people to do the things that you want or need them to do. People have certain perceptual filters yeah. and certain capabilities and other people have different capabilities. So some people are better suited to certain kinds of tasks than others. And you won't make the people that have, are good at certain things better in those things that they're the least good in. Yeah. You can help those who are good, already good at it to excel much more quickly. And if you focus on those people who are helping you get to where you're, you need to be, they will feel like they're the ones that are the favorite, even though I have no favorites. Mm -hmm. I have no favorites, but it's human nature. And human nature for me is to help the ones that's the weakest. I don't know. I think everybody has favorites. You can say you don't, but I think you would still have favorites. No. Mm, that's okay. <laughs> I argue with people, you know that, but, the, um, but I, I don't. I don't. I, I treat everyone as equally as I can. I will say this though. I treat family to, a, I, I hold them to a much higher standard of performance because people would think that I would, you know, so if you have family in a business, one, it's really difficult, especially for married couples to, yeah. to, to separate business and personal, and you do need to separate them. But um, working with family or professional development for family, because it's hard for you to give them the constructive criticism that they need yeah. and they don't necessarily feel like they need to follow it. Even if you give it to them, um, that, that is, is difficult. But so the, the difference is for family, I hold them to a higher standard than someone outside. I don't let people slack. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that that's true. And I think that people respect that. I think that's good yeah. advice to pass on, um, mentoring if advice you, to other people. If you, I talk to people, not about people. And if you are going in so often, and this happens in every environment, in the most professional environments, maybe it even happens more, I don't know. So uh, Ernst & Young, there would be so many times where people would talk about people rather than to people. You cannot improve yourself unless you know what is not meeting someone's yeah. expectation. So you need to tell them, but don't, don't tell them that, you know, this, you're a bad person or, or that you can't do this stuff. You tell them, I need this from you and I'm not getting this from you. And, the, you know, it's like, this is something that an area where I would see 
If you want to focus on developing yourself, you can. Now, ultimately, some people, it's too hard for them to do that, and maybe they're better suited for something else. There's a lot of, lot of times where people shift, and they're much happier in what they do. Don't assume that... Not everybody wants to change. What, no, it's not. It's not even that. There's there's some, some things that it's just like you can work, bang your head against the wall, and and you won't. You just don't see it because you can't. But uh, but don't assume that business is like family. Family yeah. and and your boyfriend or girlfriend. You won't, you want to create a supportive and loving environment. It's not a critical environment. In business, it's a completely different thing. And you think like, oh my gosh. If, if they're not part of this, they're just going to be devastated. And um, Walt Disney even went through that. He uh, sold his, he had a, this car that he just loved. It was a moon car. And uh, and he did it to make the payroll. Well, he ended up having to lay people off anyway. And he thought, oh, they're all going to be devastated. Well, they all landed on their feet. And they all went on and they went on to other opportunities. A business is not a family. It's a different thing. And so... You can't be afraid that if somebody doesn't fit with it or doesn't mm -hmm. help bring you to where you need to go, that maybe they're not, it's not best for them. Now, that doesn't mean you, you're heartless. You can help them find another position. You can yeah. help them find what's better fitted to their skills and say, you're strong in this. And maybe if you've thought about doing this other thing, yeah. then, then that would be something you might be happier at. And part of why people, sometimes they don't excel at things is they really don't like what they're doing. No, I agree with you. They'll well, yes, paycheck, I agree with but you. But they don't like what they're doing. Yeah. So they're actually happier if you, sometimes you have to give people a shove to make, because change is scary. Change it always is. Scary. is. And yet every day change is happening and we have to, we have to realize, oh yes, this is going on, except it's something that's subtle and it's under the radar and we aren't always paying attention yeah. to it. And the thing is, the change has always occurred since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. And so people, you know, it's actually, we want things to be simple and we want things to stay the same, but they are changing. They always have changed always and change. everyone will change and is changing. And even the earth and the stars and the moon, everything changes. Yes. And you need to let it be what it is. You need to let nature be nature. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. All we have to do is look in the mirror. This is the youngest you're going to be every single day. Instead of thinking, oh my God, I'm whatever, I'm so old. Nope, this is the youngest you're going to be at this moment in well, time. We're unique animals in that we don't necessarily see ourselves as a certain age. And mm -hmm. so it's, it, you well, can't. Well, psychologically, we see ourselves as whatever that best time was in our head versus where we are now. Well, some people are always old and some people are always young. So. Yeah, I could agree with that one too. I definitely could. How can our listeners contact you? What's the website, um, email address, whatever you want to share. If you want them to go to LinkedIn, what would you, how can people reach out to you? Sure. I am on LinkedIn, Stephen H. Minard. Um, and then also they can uh, reach me uh, through stephen.minard at orlandoworldlive.com. All right. Well, um, and obviously that's the website. Uh, .org for the foundation. There's other things that are happening, but I can't talk about them yet. Got it. Got it. Well, I want to say, uh, Steve, thank you for being a guest today on the show. I also want to um, thank our production team. That's Caesar. He's over here. This is his first show. So he's been in observation mode. Good job. And you were giving, giving me good notifications. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. 
Um, I want to acknowledge um, Ian Castro, Ashley Gonzalez, and Steve Neese, our video and audio editing team. And again, just Steve, thank you so much for being part of the intern. Again, thank you for inviting me.